So like uh, Ron said, and I appreciate the kind words that he said. I want to I wanted to say that um, if you would, would remember a few weeks ago, about a month ago from Mother's Day, um, I got the opportunity to to set up the, the Mother's Day message for Pastor Eric to give. And I got to pray for him. And, and Pastor Eric, when he discovered that he was not going to actually be here for Father's Day because it lined up with his vacation, I appreciated him reaching out to someone from Wise Counsel not that not that anyone felt like either one of us needed the affirmation of the other to give this message, but because it's a little unique to have a male teach on Mother's Day and a female teach on Father's Day, but we did that by design. So where Pastor Eric looked at the feminine qualities of God or God as mother, today we're going to look at some masculine qualities of God or God as father. Now, I know that at least half the room, some of the ladies in here, are thinking that's pretty much every Sunday, right? This is the language that we're familiar with. All of our church-going lives, we've heard about God as our Father. But I'm going to ask you to trust me and stay with me on this because we're going to take a look at this through the lens of Scripture and not what society says about fatherhood or even maleness. So I'm going to have to sit. I apologize. Um, I am healing. I do not have the bionic boot anymore. Woohoo! Look at that. Um, it's the sleek version of the boot, I guess. Uh, but still, it's hard for me to stand for, for uh, a long period of time. So I appreciate your grace in advance. Um, another reminder that I want to give to you is just like when we talked about on Mother's Day, that we talked about these qualities the more feminine qualities, that these are not exclusive of men or women. Anything that we're going to talk about today, nor what we talked about a few weeks ago. We're just addressing language as it has traditionally been seen or heard. Lastly, I want to remind you that Pastor Eric did a great job of telling us that on, on Mother's Day, that femaleness is half the mystery of God. That means that maleness is the other half, right? And if we don't embrace that, then we are missing out on at least half of who God is and who we are, whether we're man or woman. So that's the journey that we're going to go on. I invite you guys to open up your ears and your hearts to maybe some, maybe some new thoughts, maybe some, maybe some thoughts that you're very familiar with. So we've all heard God as Father. If you've been around church for any length of time, that's familiar, right? We've all heard that. But for some of us, both men and women, seeing God as father has caused us some trouble, some angst, some unrest, right? Because father can actually be a trigger word for some people in a negative way. And the reality is that's because we have all kinds of fathers in this world, on this earth. We have single dads out there who are, man, they're killing it. They're just giving their all to be the best dad that they can, and in some cases to be the, also to be the best mom that they can. They are, they are just giving it everything they've got. They've got a hard road. We've also got married dads who are learning to navigate this parenting journey with a partner, and, and it's great that they have that help, but that comes with its own struggles also. We have good dads and we have great dads who are totally hitting it out of the park. They are fully engaged in their kids' lives, and they are full-time dads, right? But then we also have some not-so-great dads. Now, personally, I was blessed with two dads. 
I had a biological dad who actually passed away 15 years ago. And I had a stepdad who I still have with me. And only one of those men was my daddy. And it was not my biological father. It is not that my biological dad didn't love me. It's more, it's better to say that he just didn't know how to love me. We didn't live near him. There were several states or a few states that divided us. And he could never really figure out how to bridge that geographical gap and be a good dad to me. My stepdad, on the other hand, is my daddy. He has been in my life since I was three years old. This is the man who tucked me in at night and who fixed my boo-boos. He taught me how to swim. He taught me how to ride a bike. He did not teach me to drive. He shoved that off onto my mother, much to my chagrin. (laughs) I was thinking about this this week and remembering just memories that I have of this man, my stepdad, who was my daddy. And one of my favorite memories is when we were a kid, when we were kids, I grew up in Key Largo. Many of you know that we lived near, well, near the water. Shocking. I know if you have never seen the keys on the map or been there. It's surrounded by water, obviously. Um, and we lived near a marina and that had a private airstrip. And one of our favorite things to do as kids is on Sunday afternoon, usually his beloved daughter would go and ask him or the baby brother, because was, it was me in the middle of four boys, right? I was two older brothers, two younger brothers. So I could get dad to do some things. Baby brother could get dad to do some things. And we would go and ask him if he would take us to the marina to get an ice cold canned Coke. It was a treat. It was a special treat. And it was a big deal to us. And it was time spent with dad, right? It wasn't until I became an adult that I realized that likely that time had less to do with us kids than it did my mother having a break from us kids. But still, it was very special to me. um, And I remember it like it was yesterday. This man has always been an amazing dad to me. But this is another thing that I learned as an adult. That came at a cost because he had two biological children of his own that he didn't live, that didn't live with him. They didn't live with us until my brother moved when he was a teenager. But most of his life, he did not live with us. And so he, he they, and they also, a couple of states divided my stepdad and his biological children. And so like my biological dad, he had a hard time developing a close relationship with them because he got to see them once, maybe twice a year. And so the hard truth was that my amazing daddy was somebody else's part-time dad. That was a great cost and a great sacrifice that this man made. And, and it burdens me still that my stepbrother and stepsister had to endure that cost. Now, I tell you this because I believe, I truly believe that most, not all, but most dads are really trying to do the best they can. They're giving it what they have. They're doing what they know. And still, they fall short. And the reason that's important is because when, on a day like today, when we're going to talk about God as Father, we have to allow that conversation to transcend our relationships with our earthly fathers, whether they are awesome or whether they are imperfect and have many flaws. 
But God calls us his children and his love is perfect and we are his beloved. We are his family. And that's not a small thing. That's a huge thing. Now, in my family and mine and Carl's family now and in my family growing up, being a part of a family meant that there were some responsibilities, right? There's chores, there's contributions that you have to make to be a part of a family. It comes with responsibility. So to talk about that, we're going to go back to the scripture that Rory read. Listen to some of these words as I emphasize them. This is back in 1 John. And now, little children, remain in relationship to Jesus so that when he appears, we can have confidence and not be ashamed in front of him when he comes. If you know that he is righteous, you also know that every person who practices righteousness is born from him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us and that we should be called God's children. And that is what we are. Because the world didn't recognize him, it doesn't recognize us. Dear friends, now we are God's children. And it hasn't yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So one of the qualities of God that we're going to talk about first this morning is that God loves us like a fully engaged and caring father. He loves us so much that he calls us his children, his very own child, every one of us. He lavishes his great love on us. He provides for us. He protects us just like we would expect our earthly fathers to do. So how do we respond to that love? Well, at the very least, we should take the responsibility of trying to know him better, right? Develop that relationship more. And throughout scripture, we're told that if you want to know who God is, you just need to look at Jesus. He sets the standard for that, for us. This text says, the scripture says, remain in relationship to Jesus. Stay in lockstep with him. Follow him. Learn from him. Be like Jesus. That's how we know. We'll look, that's how we know that we look like our father. All right. I have a question for you guys, and I want you to be honest with me here. How many of you think you look or are sure that you look like one of your parents? More of you than I thought would answer that. Uh, I was, that's why I said, be honest. Don't you lie to me now. I've got Facebook just like everybody does. I can test this out. <laughs> so children usually do resemble their parents, right? If not physically in their, in their features, but at least in their mannerisms, right? One of the first questions that anybody asks when they hear about a baby being born is what? Who do they look like? Who do they look like? The mom or the dad? That's right. Even a chosen adopted child can start to look like their adopted parents. Now, researchers have, have looked into this and have said that that's because children learn their facial expressions from watching their parents and interacting with their parents. So as they learn to manipulate their face and make expressions, they start to look like even their adopted parents. How cool is that? That's awesome. So we, as children of God, need to look like the one we belong to. 
We need to carry God's DNA, and we need to bear an, an unmistakable resemblance to God. Now, our resemblance to God doesn't show up in our facial features or, our, or our, um, the way that we hold ourselves, our cock our head to the side or stand. It's going to be through our behavior and how we act, how we love each other. If you want to look like God, watch Jesus and do what he did, and he loved people. Visible proof of being a child of God is the way we treat our other siblings, our loving behavior. Another quality of God is that he leads and teaches us like a father. This is where we're going to spend most of our time today because this is hugely significant for us. Just as we have learned and been instructed by God through Jesus' life, And the way that we've learned and been instructed by our earthly fathers, or at least for most of us, we have to acknowledge and own the fact that our behavior influences future generations. And if you're parents, that's mostly your children. So what kind of influence are you having on your children? And if you're not parents, what kind of influence are you having on those around you? What behaviors of yours Are they learning from? Your role as a child of God is not passive, and neither is your role as a parent. You're revealing Christ to others, especially your kids, through your behavior. And listen, when that is not done well, it can affect someone's spirituality. I know it to be true. I've had the conversations with some of you here at this church. This is why Father's Day can be hard for some because their fathers, their earthly fathers, didn't resemble Christ, didn't try to resemble Christ. They didn't love their children as Christ would. And that has caused deep wounds in people's lives and has impacted their relationship with their heavenly father and probably everyone around them, everyone they've ever had a relationship with. If that first wound that original wound isn't healed, every person you ever meet will have to deal with that brokenness in your relationship with them. It will absolutely show up in your relationship with God. We've said this before, hurt people hurt people. Now, the hope on the other side of that is that healed people help other people heal. So how should we influence our children and the others around us? Well, in preparation for today, I read a book that Pastor Eric recommended to me. It's by Richard Rohr. We've mentioned him several times. He's an amazing author and spiritual leader. And in his book, Adam's Return, he talks about five realities, spirituality, that we all need to learn and then we need to teach. And they are this. Life is hard. You are not that important. It's not about you. You are not in control, and you are going to die. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) I mean, I'm bringing the joy, ain't I? Other than that very first one, we usually think that the opposite is true. We usually think that I am that important. It is about me. I'm totally in control, and I think I'm invincible. I can do anything. 
except jump or stand for long periods of time. We're going to unpack these one by one. The first one is life is hard. Following Jesus is hard work. We already said that, right? It's not an easy road. It wasn't easy for him. I don't know why we would think it would be easy for us. And we are going to stumble. And others around us are going to stumble. And it is going to hurt. But what are you going to do with that pain? Many of us just stand there in it. And stay stuck in it. And go like this. Point the blame at everyone around us, including our fathers, including our parents. Listen to these words. If our pain isn't transformed, it will be transmitted in some way to other people in our lives, to our spouses, our friends, and even our children. And I would say especially our children. The second one, you are not that important. If someone doesn't teach you that you are not that important early in life, then painful life will teach you this, right? And it will dismantle you brick by brick. Parents, don't, please, don't, don't, please, don't teach your children that they are the center of the universe because they're not, and the universe will surely show them that that's true. Amen. It's going to happen and they're going to be shocked. Teach them instead that they are the center of God's universe. That's true. That's true. They are that important to him. The third one, your life is not about you. You are not your own. You are a child of God. You are revealing Christ to those around you and your life is your message. Our society no longer believes what people say. They believe what people do. Right? They want to see it lived out in front of them. That's what teaches. My life is not about me. It's about God. It's about my willing participation in his bigger story. Number four, you are not in control. In Rohr's book, he says that the first half of your life is mostly about learning self-control, right? Don't throw a temper tantrum. Don't throw anything when you don't get your way, right? That's not how to, that's not how to act. And the second half of our life is about learning to give up control because we think we have it. He says it this way, in the first half of the spiritual journey, we fight the devil. And in the second half, we fight God. Does that resonate with anybody? did with me. God is in control and your spiritual journey is about learning to trust him instead of trying to control things for ourselves. But again, to trust him, you have to know who he is. You have to know who he is so that you can trust that and trust him with the control. The last one is um, you are going to die. Now, I love this Hindu saying that says, the surprise of surprises is that although everybody who has ever lived in this world has died, for some reason, we think we won't. I know people who live like that. I know people who believe that or act that way anyway. We have a tendency, how this plays out in our lives sometimes, is we have a tendency to look behind us and hold on to the good old days, right? That's what's comfortable and that's because that's what's familiar 
That's what we know. We've already seen the outcome, and that's not trust. We want eternal life. We want to be able to look forward, but for some reason, we, we have a tendency to just think that that's where it's at. In the past, this is what I want to hold on to. As if for somehow that God is back there because it's what we know, but he's not up there. He's not in the front. He's not ahead of me. And more importantly, that he's not right here in the here and now. A healthy spirituality will always find God in the here and now, the present more than in the past. So where do we go from here? Well, we're going to go back through those five realities. And this time, we're going to align them with, the me- with Jesus' message. So life is hard, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light, as it says in Matthew. If your relationship with God doesn't have deep and incredible joy, or you can't find contentment, then you are missing something very important. The, ab- the abundant life that God wants you to have is now, not later. There is true joy and rest in knowing that your father loves you. You need to know that, and you need to be able to identify that and rest in that. The next one, you are not that important, but in Luke, Jesus said this, do you not know that your name is written in heaven? How important do you feel now? You have been declared important, so there's no reason for you to declare yourself important. That's not where your importance and your significance comes from. Now, the reason that someone can tell you now that you're not that important is because they can remind you of your infinite importance in God's eyes. Your infinite and unearned, by the way, importance. It's possible that the hard time, the hard time that we have hearing that you're not that important is because we have a hard time believing the second part of that is that you are infinitely important to God. And so we try to manufacture our own importance, our own significance. The next one, your life is not about you, but in Galatians 2 it says, I live not my own life, but the life of Christ who lives in me. Your life should be one of radical humility. It's not your own. It's been entrusted to you. It's been given to you. Again, you don't need to create your own identity or or declare your own importance. It's been given to you. You are a beloved child of God, and you need to spend your time discovering who God says you are and then enjoying that, enjoying who he's made you to be. You can only ever be that, and you're only ever supposed to be that. St. Francis says this, I have done what was mine to do. Now you must do what is yours to do. I am Lori Green. And that is all that God expects of me. And that is everything that God expects me to be. And that is enough. Not because I think so, because I don't, but because he says so. You are not in control, but can any of you, for all your worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan? That's what it says in Luke. It's not any wonder that we have become control freaks because we don't trust people enough to give them control, right? 
We want to hold on to that because who else could take care of things if I don't take care of things? I know. Preach. I got, I got you. But when you are truly connected to your Father in heaven and you fully trust him, you don't have to try and steer your own ship. Because you know and trust that he is steering it better than you ever could to a place that you could have never imagined. Why in the world would you want to take that from him? The last one, you are going to die. But Romans 8 says this. I am certain of this. Neither death nor life. Nothing that exists. Nothing still to come. Not any power. Not any height. Nor depth. Nor any created thing can ever come between us and the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We can't make him love us more, and we can't make him love us less either. And when you live and hold on to that radical truth, then you don't have to be afraid to die because you've connected those two worlds. You've connected your life now to eternal life. You know what love is. God is love. And if you can experience it here, then you don't have to be afraid to go there, right? So God, our Father, is love, and he loves us so much that he spends all of our lives teaching and guiding us. What do you suppose you are to do if you want to be like your Father? Love and teach. This is definitely true if you're a parent. Proverbs says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's instruction. It's instruction is also a promise. This is also true if you're not a parent. This is for all of us. All of us, ordinary men and women, whether you are influencing young children or not, we have influence with someone. We say it all week after week here. Everyone has influence. And we've all got life experiences. And we've all learned things that should be taught to someone. So your journey should be about you looking ahead of you and saying, that person is a little further ahead of me. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to ask them to coffee. And I'm going to sit and just listen to the things that they've learned. They're not perfect. They didn't have to take a class to become a mentor. They just have life experience that they should want to share. And then you, after having done that, should turn around and see who's behind you. And be intentional about inviting someone else to coffee that isn't as at your age yet or at your level of spiritual maturity, whatever that is. So as we start to wrap up, I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts. I'm going to go back to the verses that we read earlier. I'm not going to read them again, but I want you to hear this. This is, this is from chapter 3, the first verse in chapter 3. As believers, our self-worth is based on the fact that God loves us and calls us his children. He is our father. And knowing that we are his kids should encourage us to live as Jesus did, to look and act like him, to follow him. The second thought is when we realize that we're part of a bigger family, the bigger family of God, 
that we are truly beloved children of God, then the hurts and the wounds that have happened from our earthly families can no longer define us. That is not who you are. That is not who you are. That is not who you are. And when you are a part of a family, you are also responsible for some things. You are responsible for teaching and guiding the people you have influence with, especially your children, if you are parents. If you want to know more about who your father is and how much he loves you, I've said it already, follow in Jesus' footsteps. He always, always, always leads us back to the father. We have real responsibilities, but we are equipped for this job only because we are called children of God. That is the only label that you should allow yourself to wear. It is the only thing that you should allow yourself to be defined by. Yes, you have been hurt. Yes, everyone has been hurt because the world is full of imperfect people. And when we stumble, we hurt other people, those people around us. And as parents, we hurt our kids. But if we do the good job of teaching them that, yes, I love you as much as I can possibly love you on this earth, but there is a father in heaven who loves you more than I can imagine. And trust me, as a parent, it is hard for me to even say that someone could love my child my children more than I do, but I know it's true and my job is to teach them that, then that is how they will be defined forevermore. There is hope in that. There is comfort in that. There is peace in that. It doesn't make things perfect, but it means that that is who they are and nothing can take that away from them. That is good news to me because the labels that I put on myself are not that kind. They are not that loving. A lot of times they're negative. That's part of my brokenness. That is not who God says I am. Amen.